Welcome to the regular Friday roundtable here at The Hub for the 26th of January. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the executive director of The Hub. I'm joined by Sean Spear, our editor at large. Sean, how do we find you on this beautiful Friday? I'm recording from sunny Florida. I feel like I've been let out of some <laughs> gulag that has been winter in Toronto. I think we had six hours of sun in 30 days. So I'm like a lizard here, kind of lying uh, on the road, just staring <laughs> up at the sun. And I'm oblivious as to whether I'm going to get run over by a car or not. I don't care. Uh, good good for you. You're, you're, you're in DeSantis world. I'm I'm here in New York City. It's not quite as warm, uh, but we're we're doing just fine. Uh, it's big week in Canadian politics. Everything from the different parties getting together in advance of uh, next week's return of Parliament to Tucker Carlson's roadshow in, in Alberta. So it's been quite a week, hasn't it? Yes, and a week, big week in U.S. politics uh, too, with the New Hampshire primary and let's try to kind of like we like to do here at the round table connect all the different dots uh and there are a bunch this week but i want to use as our frame this this return to parliament next week and the extent to which the parties are caucusing kind of sharpening their key arguments pro and con so let's begin there let's uh, visit those caucuses meetings and discussions what are you seeing as the battle lines, the, uh, the the attacks that the liberals will be launching to try to make up for a lot of lost ground in the yes. polls? And then what's the conservative positioning? And maybe that can be our entry into some of the other events of the week that I think are shaping and pushing around uh, this conservative leader. He is getting buffeted by events uh, in a big way. Yeah, so we had this week both a, a liberal cabinet retreat uh, followed by a liberal caucus meeting. And as has been the case for really the past 12 months, when it when it rains, it pours um, and so in politics. And so the cabinet meeting, you know, there seemed to be a bit of momentum coming out of that. The government was rolling out some new announceables on housing, on auto theft and, 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 and other policy areas. And then, of course, it was hit like a brick. Uh, with this federal court decision on the invocation of the Emergencies Act during the, the trucker convoy, uh, a, a decision uh, which uh, found that that the invocation of the act was unconstitutional, that in, in effect, the government had overreached as Pierre Polyev and others had claimed at the time. And, and so that really set the government back in a way. Uh, it then, of course, led into this caucus retreat where we saw a speech from the prime minister in which he was more uh, combative than we've seen at, at different times over the past 12 months and really zeroing in on a, a line of argument that I think is really going to uh, permeate the next 24 months or however long it is between now and the next election. And, and that is, in effect, the argument that Pierre Polyev represents a kind of Trumpian candidate uh, the, the the prime minister and other liberal spokespersons are are are, are talking about a kind of MAGA conservatism, uh, and you know it, it, it's a kind of extraordinary line of of attack for two reasons. Um, uh, first, because of course, as we'll get into, Donald Trump is now the presumptive Republican presidential nominee, and all things being equal, I would argue the front runner to be the next president of the United States. And so we have a incumbent government, uh, you know, effectively putting at the center of its political attacks. 
um, a, a bi future possible future bilateral partner in the White House occupant. The, the second reason why it's notable, though, is because um, I, I think if it's ultimately effective, it could have a meaningful impact on our politics over the next couple of years. You know, that is to say, we see in a lot of polling that uh, the Canadian aversion to Donald Trump, uh, I think if Trump wins, that that aversion will only be reinforced in the sense that Canadians will sort of want to juxtapose their own political uh, preferences and values with what they're seeing in the United States. And so if this line of argument sticks, Rudyard, if the, the government is successful in codifying in the minds of Canadians that Donald Trump and Pierre Polyev exist within the same Venn diagram, um, you know, it may it may it may be effective politics. Uh, what's your sense? You're right. Uh, the prime minister was knocked off course by the uh, the ruling on the Emergencies Act, but the visit of Tucker Carlson to um, Alberta this week, in a sense, was um, you know manna from heaven in terms of what we know, and we've seen it now for weeks here, maybe months. The the primary liberal kind of attack, which, as you said, is kind of MAGA MAGA light in in Canada. Uh, courtesy of Pierre Polyev, and and I think we just have to be frank about this: that the the visit of T Tucker, in terms of the timing, uh, who he is, and how he was received, does give you know credence to the prime minister's argument that there is a significant portion of center right thinking in Canada that has been captured by a U.S. style um, MAGA argument. And I think to me that really came home powerfully with the participation of the Premier of Alberta in um, these events with Tucker Carlson. I think we have to remind ourselves just like who Tucker Carlson is. I mean, there's the Tucker Carlson we remember from Crossfire, uh, from Fox News, uh, yes, at times controversial, at times uh, veering into conspiracy. But the Tucker Carlson on X is a is a more frankly fringe character in U.S. media and political circles. This is a a so called television host or online personality who recently hosted a one hour in depth discussion with a man who claimed to be Barack Obama's gay lover and fellow uh, crack cocaine user. This is a TV host who recently provided Alex Jones with a hour plus, you know, rehabilitation within the so-called, you know, MAGA right of U.S. politics, a man, Alex Jones, who viciously attacked the Sandy Hook uh, families who were subject to a horrific school shooting, who has, for reasons of, I think, just pure greed, you know, disseminated for decades now in the United States, the most outrageous, you know, conspiracy theories and misinformation. And then here you have, Sean, the premier of Alberta, Daniel Smith getting on stage with this guy and talking about how Tucker should put Gilbo, the environmental minister of Canada, the federal minister, in his, quote, crosshairs. 
this 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 was this was a low moment for the right in Canada. And I think we need to be honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. Tucker Carlson scratches a certain itch at times um, that conservatives feel um, in part because he he is a no holds bars combatant uh, of the left. And there's a tendency at times, I think, to take some delight or joy or or fun out of seeing him take the the this kind of rhetorical boots uh to conservatives political enemies um particularly in a context it, it must be said um in which progressives or or elite center left voices aren't always uh the most um empathetic or or you know, charitable to conservatives. And so in that sense, uh, Tucker Carlson, like Donald Trump, it must be said, can be attractive at times as a sort of blunt force instrument of political and ideological combat. Um, but as you say, the conservative tradition is richer, more textured, and frankly, better than that. Um, that, uh, uh, you know, we have to have if one subscribes to a, a kind of center right set of ideas and, and disposition, you have to think that um, ultimate victory such as it is lies in arguments and persuasion and, um, and reaching um, those who are open to these arguments as opposed to uh, what Tucker and others do, which is to sort of galvanize fragmented parts of the population um, uh, for, frankly, financial gain. Um, and so in that sense, uh, uh, you know, I admit that at times my friends and I share Tucker clips and we get a good laugh, um, but you have to be disciplined enough to say that this isn't the path forward. That this doesn't represent a way to, um, to, to, to move the, the public dialogue in a, in a, a different and better direction. And so in that sense, I think it, it is sort of regrettable uh, that he was here, especially because it reinforces, as you say, this line of argument that we're hearing from the government. And the timing couldn't be worse because, you know, we just have this confluence of 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 things occurring at the same time, including Donald Trump's effective victory of the Republican primary, uh, which is going to put increasing attention and scrutiny on Pierre Polyev. Um, let me just make one final point, Rudyard, and I'll turn it to you, though. Um, I think that Pierre Polyev might surprise us in this moment. That yes, of course, he has an, an, a reputation and an image of being pretty hardline, if not on his policies or or political positions, then certainly on his presentation and, and rhetoric. Um, but I've said really since he won the leadership that one of his kind of ace cards is his strong uh, support amongst core conservatives that that comes from years of sort of growing up in that movement. And I, I think he I think that will permit him at different times over the coming months to sort of surprise a lot of Canadians that he'll be able to take to position himself on on certain issues um that in a way um uh in a way sort of destabilize people's perceptions of him and 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 in particular 
as it relates to this line of argument that he's Trumpian. Let me just, just give one example. He has a strong track record of being a champion for persons with disabilities in the workforce. Like it, it seems to me there'll be issues like that where he can kind of lean in and show a, an empathetic, compassionate version of himself um, that will surprise people. And, and, and in that sense may uh, make him less susceptible to the types of arguments that we're hearing from the prime minister and, and the liberals. Agreed. And I would just say that many people probably listening to this podcast would would welcome um, Pierre Polyev, you know, premiership at some point in the future and see a lot of those attractive qualities in him. But like, I think the movement and the 8,000 people or so who gathered in Edmonton to see the premier and Tucker Carlson on stage also need to like acknowledge that, you know, when you're participating in those kinds of events and you're giving energy to those types of ideas, you're doing Pierre Polyev no favors. You are, I think, just selfishly scratching an itch. You want to have, as you say, that, you know, that dopamine hit of let's give it to the libtards uh, that, you know, Tucker delivers. And, you know, I've written about this before for the hub, and I really just do encourage people like, be careful of the adjacency, okay? Because yes, there's parts of Tucker that, frankly, can be at times surprisingly like serious and substantive. But there is also with him and a lot of the MAGA right in America, there is a darker authoritarian streak, a yearning for the leader with a capital L. This is a, again, so-called journalist who, um, you know, has recently, uh, you know, valorized uh, Victor, Victor Orban and um, has, you know, done puff pieces uh, with him in, in Hungary. This is, a, again, a so-called journalist who has, if not outright endorsed the idea that January 6th was a, f- a federal government conspiracy, has sowed all kinds of in- information and disinformation that supports that argument and contention that it was not a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol. Instead, it was orchestrated and engineered by federal agents, a so-called false flag. I mean, this is Alex Jones' territory. And I just think, you know, I will say this about the left, the center left in, in Canada. They don't seem to go down these same kind of rabbit holes that a, a, a portion, a not insignificant portion, the 30 odd percent of Canadians and polls who say that they they support Donald Trump being president. <laughs> like There is a significant chunk block of conservative opinion in Canada that goes for this wacky stuff. And I, I just wish like, come on, like, just be a bit more adult, like, just be a bit more serious, just avoid the itch. You know, get gold bomb or whatever that is. <laughs> just start like lathering it around your intellectual consciousness to avoid, you know, harming the conservative cause in Canada. I think polluting your mind with all kinds of just crazy, false, crappy information. That's, as you say, at the end of the day, you're the product. When you're sitting in that hall with those 8,000 people, cheering and jeering at you know the idea of gilbo getting you know getting a a target or a sight on him like remember 
you put cash in Tucker's pockets, okay? <laughs> he he sold you. You're a product. Like, don't don't be naive about this whole industry, these anger factories on the right. You are chum, grist for highly profitable online businesses and monetization models like those events in Calgary and Edmonton. I'm sorry, it's the truth. Yeah, uh, it, it is. And, you know, at times, you know, that we've <laughs> the temptation to go down that path, even at the hub, can be hard to resist because you see these people uh, doing what they do and, 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 and making so much money doing it. We've obviously consciously, intentionally chosen a, a different path. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I would I will push back a bit though, Rudyard, because um, I think what we're seeing is actually a kind of dialogue going on between the left and the right. That there's pretty strong polling, in fact, that shows in in North America that the radicalization on the left is is actually greater than the radicalization on the right. And in a way, what we're seeing is a a kind of effective polarization occurring uh, in 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 the form of almost a dialogue between. Uh, this 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 parallel process of radicalization it manifests itself differently. It manifests itself in reconceptualizing gender. You know, in the introduction of ideas like pregnant people in our major institutions. Uh, uh, the you know extraordinary levels of support that we're seeing on parts of the left for Hamas uh, against Israel. I mean, there's all all hosts of ways in which uh, the the left radicalized has radicalized. Um, what I think distinguishes it in a way is that that in those instances, left wing radicalization has kind of mainstreamed itself because of their dominance in a lot of our mainstream institutions. And so in that sense, it looks uh, less radical precisely because of their their kind of presence in universities, the media, corporations and so on, whereas on the right, it really is in, in fringe by definition in the sense that it sits outside of the mainstream. Uh, Great, but, Sean, but look, I enjoy this because I, I like having debates with you, but would you acknowledge that on the right, there's a different flavor, that that the left radicalization, naively and at times, um, at times with an intent to kind of manipulate and seek power and influence, it it dresses it up in the language of of liberation, usually of the extension of rights and freedom. It's yeah. very effective at doing that. Yes. Wouldn't you say the the qualitative difference on the right is this is this this fraternization with the leader and authority and or you know bringing order to chaos and wanting. I, I call it, you know, the authoritarian impulse. Those are different things. And I think I, I'm willing to make a little bit of a moral judgment here that I'm, I find the, 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 the impulse to authoritarianism, frankly, smaller, but more sinister than the naivete and, um, and uh, you know, kind of woke, celebration of the endless emancipation of different groups, individuals and causes, you know, in the name of the expansion of human freedom. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I, um, 
I mean that sincerely in the sense that it's something that's kind of a, a tension that runs through me. Because um, I, I think what's I, I think you're what you're describing is accurate. But what I would say is what's animating that line of thinking on the right is a sense that uh, conservatives have effectively lost control. They've lost a voice. They've lost the ability to influence mainstream institutions, the culture shaping institutions of our society. The one place where they can compete for power is in politics, is in government. And so what I think you're increasingly seeing on the part of, of many on the right is a sense that uh, it's no longer satisfactory to win control of the levers of political power and use them uh, to advance the goal of, neutral, of, of neutrality or, or, or small L liberalism. That in a world in which uh, they are, their backs are against the wall, in the sense that they've lost control of these institutions that are reshaping the culture and society, there's an onus on them to use the only levers available to them, which is political power and governmental power, uh, to uh, essentially push back. Uh, Sean, would would you acknowledge that maybe you're conflating conservatism and populism? I think they're they're two different things. I think, yes, I think conservatism has all kinds of uh, worthy and important, you know, beliefs about about the limits of power and about the extent to which the power of leaders and the state and the administrative bureaucracy should be curtailed. I think what's worrying about the authoritarian impulse on the right is its populist, uh, its populist energy. It's not conservative. That's my point. Is I think when these people engage in these events and they they're part of these these movements like you know, the revivalist, you know, Tucker's revival in, in, in <laughs> revivalist meeting in downtown, you know, Edmonton. It's not really conservatism that you're fraternizing with. It's populism. And you got to understand populism is a different thing. It just, it qualitative and quantitatively is. And, and at a certain point, people may not realize that they've left conservatism behind with its tenants and credos. And they have succumbed to what I think is just like populist rank. Yeah. And, well, look, you know, here, here then I think the prime minister gets all kinds of new oxygen because I think there are valid concerns and worries about on the, and there should be on the right also about really what is populism. I mean, look at Doug Ford's Ontario. If you think populism is a effective way to, to govern or fiscally manage a province well there's exhibit number one dofo uh, uh, i i i of course i agree and i think you know and, and listeners know you know generally what i i think about these issues but I, i'm trying to kind of steel man in a way um this line of thinking on the right i, I would say of course it could succumb to authoritarian excesses and it, you know it's principally why i have misgivings but let's be concrete about it because there's a there's a there would be a, what i think conservatives who are subscribing to these ideas what they would say about what about you and to an extent me is that we are we are effectively enabling the kind of left-wing takeover of our institutions by refusing to fight back by taking the taking the view that conservatism is about incrementalism it's not about uh it's about uh, neutrality about neutrality of the state it's about liberalism and 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 meanwhile our institutions yeah, are they, being fundamentally they transformed want to get rock rock ribbed and muscular in well their, you know, well we've talked we, but we've politics. but we've talked in the past several weeks about universities right i mean there a small liberal position would be um you know it's not the role of the state to intervene and 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 influence the 
kind of center of gravity in our in our post-secondary institutions. I, I think the kind of Tucker crowd would say, no, you know, we've won control, we've won democratic control, small d democratic control of governmental power, and we should take it for a spin. And that means, you know, effectively using the levers of the state as we're seeing incidentally in the state of Florida where you are, uh, where Ron DeSantis is saying, no, we have a kind of theory is, of the case. banning uh, whole fields of academic inquiry as as illegitimate in the eyes of Ron DeSantis and, you know, Republican majority in Tallahassee. I don't know. I guess it feels good. Again, that itch, that itch when you're scratching that DEI itch you got, you know, it feels great to, to hear Ron, you know, banging away about how he's going to strip uh the ability to simply inquire about these subjects out of institutions of, of higher learning and, uh, you know, the K to 12. Again, I, I just think that is very authoritarian. I think that's very unconservative. I don't think it's actually in the cause of freedom. And I think, you know, there are strong rock ribbed arguments for classical conservatism. Like let's dismantle the administrative state. Let's, um, Let's promote through uh, through tax and other types of policies, you know, in, individual consumer choice and personal liberty. Let's give people, you know, financial greater financial independence from from governments and from the monopolies and cartels that run our economy. There's all kinds of ways, Sean. I think to be to be very, uh, you know, very assertive and confident and oppositional without succumbing to you know the the populist con which is that we're going to get into power we're going to interpret the will of the people and we will act on that will to bring about you know um a new regime because that's what it is it's using the state as you said the powers of the state and institutions to bring about a priori, some interpretation of of uh, of public and, and civic life. The very thing that we blame rightly people on the the left for trying to over engineer, control, dictate how and why we should live. I'd say two things to to possibly wrap up. One directly responding to that, and then one kind of looking forward. Uh, in the direct response, I think what listeners who are inclined to this line of argument would say, Rudyard, is that um, you and I are economic determinists and we have a blind spot, that we are arguing about the government as a share of GDP and tax rates and so on. And meanwhile, the left is going about fundamentally changing the kind of cultural foundation of our society. And so we might win the day on capital gains rates, but if they redefine gender or redefine sexuality or any number of issues that they're kind of advancing, uh, will have kind of won the battle, but fundamentally lost the war. Um, the second point, though, which which uh, finds some a a agreement with you is in in light of knowing the line of argument that, that is coming from the prime minister and knowing the broader political context, including uh, Donald Trump's uh, 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 political you know, in, ensuing political campaign for president. I think what Pierre Polyev needs to do is effectively advance the lines of argument, which you just did that a Polyev administration would be principally focused on trying to jolt a stagnant economy, uh, uh, reform a, uh, a sclerotic administrative state, uh, boost employment, boost incomes, and leave um, you know the culture wars 
to somebody else and you know in effect amount to a, a government that it, that seeks to return to a kind of normalcy when it comes to both the economy and some of the excesses of progressive kind of cultural politics that we've seen for the true government that is uh, a way to inoculate himself from these lines of argument and ultimately the way uh to, to to win government but i will just say there will be these voices in the background saying that that is that is uh, necessary but insufficient in light of these kind of broader cultural trends being advanced by uh progressives in our society yeah yeah look my final comment here and then just to wrap up the show is that you know the beauty of classical liberalism which really i think you and i sean and a lot of other people see as the kind of the intellectual kind of core and engine of conservative thought is precisely be it's the extent to which it's quiet about what is the good life it is neutral about the peep the choices that that people make and i understand there's bureaucracy there's the power of the state there are, on the left there are various ideological movements that have captured the machinery of government and are pushing their theory of the case but i really think you know conservatives need to recenter around like core principles core tenets um state neutrality matters um not defining again a priori what is the good life the fact that we think somehow that our intellectual worldview is so much clearer so much more rigorous so much so much more able to bring about human flourishing and happiness i mean that is a, a massive conceit if you really believe that if you think you can assume the machinery of government and drive society and people and individuals to some conception of um of the good life well that's what that's what populists sell that's the snake oil that's what worries me but this has been a fantastic discussion today sean we went big picture on a bunch of stuff talked on some of the key themes of the week from the return of parliament next week which we'll cover extensively at the hub tucker's visit the, the court ruling on the emergencies act uh we did it all have a fantastic weekend and we'll speak to you next friday Thank you for listening to this edition of The Hub Roundtable. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, come on over to www.thehub.ca and check us out. You'll find all kinds of great commentary, analysis, and insights by our writers, including Sean Spear. While you're there, consider clicking on the Join button. This will take you to our complimentary membership offer. Put in your email, and we will send you each Saturday a compilation of our best writing and commentary from the week that was. We really appreciate your support, and we also greatly appreciate the support of the Linda Frum and Howard Sokolowski Foundation and the Maxine and Ira Gornowski Gluskin Foundation for making these podcasts possible. The Hub Roundtable is produced and edited by Amal Otter Guzman. Thank you for listening. <laughs>